Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in Galatians, and we're going to be in Galatians for a while. We're going to take a couple of weeks off at Easter, but we're going to go through this entire book. And today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. Now, when I was a child growing up uh, in a Southern Baptist church, I remember I, I tried to be a pretty good kid. I mean, I got in trouble. Uh, and we won't go into all those, those things, but I was for somewhat, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was a normal boy, but I was a pretty good kid. But I remember as I, I <clears throat> began to get in my preteens and even my teens, uh, and since I was a little child, I'd always pray this prayer as long as I can remember. Jesus, forgive me my sins and come to my heart. God, if I'm, if I'm not saved, God, forgive me. God, oh, Lord. And, and every time I heard a, a, a scary story, Every time I heard about hell, every time that some preacher would come through, guest preacher would come in, every time that it would storm, I'd pray that prayer about 14 times. Jesus, I'm going to do better. God, I'm trying to be good. God, forgive me. And I kept trying to get better. I, I really didn't get much better, by the way. But I kept trying to be better so that I, I could be saved, so to speak. kept asking God to save me. I kept praying that prayer, and I kept trying to be better and trying to be a better boy and trying to... I remember one time, one of my Sunday school teachers said, um, you know, if you're not doing your devotionals, you're wasting God's money, and he's very disappointed. Oh! So I would read that devotion like three times. And I was trying to be a good boy. I was trying to earn God's favor. The title of this sermon is... What does the Galatians tell us about the amazing grace of the gospel? The amazing grace of the gospel. There was another guy who went through the same kind of thing. He was born in the late 1400s. And he was a uh, well-educated, well-studied, well-versed monk. And he was challenged and just perplexed by the Bible and by, the, and by God and by his, his righteousness and by his judgment that he perceived from God, that he felt like he had heard and he had been taught. But uh, he began to study, and through a, another guy named Stoppitz, John Stoppitz, uh, he began to encourage this guy named Martin to, to look at the scripture of grace and to see the grace of the gospel and the mercy of God. And so he began to study Romans and, and Galatians and the letters of Paul and the, and the Gospels. And he got to one place in Romans 1.17 and it just really convicted him about the righteousness of God. And eventually he began to really study the book of Galatians. And it so moved and so disturbed him that he had this tower experience, he called it, this conversion experience. Even though he had been studying the Bible practically all his life, even though he was a professional minister, he was a monk, he was so perplexed and torn up. And so he's so overcome by the gospel because for the first time he really sees the grace of God. It's justification by faith. In other words, you are made right by your faith. It's not that I have to be good enough to earn it or to deserve it, but I'm justified by faith because of what Jesus Christ did. I'm made right. It's counted to me as righteousness when I believe and put my full faith in Jesus Christ. And so he did this, and it was like just a weight fell off of him. 
And he began to recognize the needs in his world, the need particularly in the, the church and the community of faith. And so he got so convicted that he went and he wrote these 95 theses and he nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg door. Of course, his name is Martin Luther. The Protestant Reformation, the reason that you and I are here, at least in one sense, is because of that Reformation. It had a huge impact on the world that we know and the world at that time. And it came, and Martin Luther said, it was the many Romans. It was, matter of fact, he looked at Galatians and he said, Galatians is my wife. He had a wife too named Catherine. But he said, it's my wife. He goes, it, 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 it has changed me. And, and, and he wrote this preface for the book of Galatians. It so overwhelmed him. It so impacted his life that he wrote this preface and he later wrote a commentary But this preface was used and people would read it. And then in the 1700s, around 1730, there were these two brothers that were preachers. And um, John Wesley, you've heard of him. And John Wesley had uh, been studying Romans and hearing hearing a message about uh, the salvation of God. And and then Charles Wesley, one night, uh, someone, a friend of him, gave him this preface of Martin Luther of, of Galatians. And he began to read it, and he said, it was just like the power of the Spirit came over me, and I began to read it and and study it, and he said, I was changed forever. And he began to go around, and him and some friends, and they would read it to people. And they would begin to read the book of Galatians. And through John Wesley and many others, and Charles Wesley, what happened? The Great Awakening, the Great Revival broke out. Let me tell you something, guys. We're going to talk about the gospel today. And a lot of times people think like this. They go, oh, the gospel, that's the milk. That's for children. That's for people who've never heard. I'm so much deeper and further along. I don't want to hear the gospel. Well, let me just tell you something. First of all, the gospel, it's interesting. Paul is writing actually to Christians here. You realize that? The Galatian church, which is now modern-day Turkey. And there were multiple churches. And so he's writing to Christians to make sure that they understand because there were people called Judaizers, word for you to remember, Judaizers, who were saying, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Plus, you got to keep all the laws. You need to be circumcised. And they came up with all these other rules, all these other rituals and laws that you've got to keep. It's just like Judaism. We're just combining the two. It's syncretism. Keep the Jewish law, keep the Jewish customs, and add Jesus to it. And Paul will say, absolutely not. We'll see it in just a moment. And again, he's speaking to Christians. Let me tell you something. The gospel isn't the milk. It's the meat, it's the milk, it's the bone, it's everything. It's the power, it's the blood that runs through your veins that goes to every organ and infects every part of you. And when you don't have blood in your body, you die. The blood of Jesus Christ is what covers us. So when we talk about the gospel this morning, if you roll your eyes and go, I already know that, I already got it all. I would question whether the gospel has ever really taken root. Because it's the power of the Christian. It's the power of our faith. It's what transformed Martin Luther. It's what transformed Charles Wesley. It's what transformed everyone who believes and knows Jesus Christ as their Lord 
and Savior. Galatians is the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. It's the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, and it's the pure doctrine of the gospel. As we look at this, you know, there are always two extremes man has always wanted to go to. One is legalism, or fundamentalism, if you want to call it that in some instances. People seem to want to fall over there. Why? Because then they're in control. If I do this, 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 you have to do this. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't watch TV, you can't wear certain clothes and do all these things. And if you do all that, then, hey, you can add Jesus and be saved. While others will be what we call libertinism. Paul dealt with this too. Yeah, I said that prayer, I accept Jesus. I can do whatever I want now. I can do whatever I want. I got no boundaries. I'm free in Christ. And Paul says, you are perverting the gospel both ways. So I want us to look at the real gospel today. What Paul said, what changed the life of Martin Luther, what changed the life of Charles Wesley, which changed the life of thousands upon thousands as they truly understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, when we get into this, I, I want to state this, and you, you've heard me say this. I always try to say this five or six times every year. There are three perspectives when you come to church on teachings and understanding church. Number one, uh, when we look at the Bible, there are some essentials. And what I would say are the essentials are the tenets. The tenets of the faith. The gospel is a tenet of the faith. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. These are tenets of the faith. Okay? They're non-negotiable. And Paul's going to talk about that. All right? They're non-negotiable. Then there are teachings. They're important teachings. What do we do about baptism? We, we make all kinds of denominations over this. What about the Lord's Supper? How you understand that and how often you do it? What about spiritual gifts? What about church government? They're all important and we have a position, uh, but we don't say that they're infallible positions. We say this to, to the best of our understanding. We interpret scripture. We think this is important. But it doesn't mean you can't go to heaven if you have a different perspective on it, okay? It doesn't mean you're not a believer of Christ. Thirdly, there's taste. What kind of music? Some of you would have preferred just to have an organ today and a piano. And that's okay. That's your taste. Some would say, man, I'd like it a little bit more upbeat. That's a matter of taste. Some of you would say, you know, I, I wish the people around here would dress up a little bit more. It's not a biblical issue. That's your taste. Some people would say, I wish we were a little looser here. That's your taste. Some people say, you know, I want real Sunday school. That's a taste. Do you understand that's all issues of taste? It, it's not, those are not biblical issues. Those are matters of taste. What we want to always make sure, and by the way, if you're looking for another church, some of you might be. Uh, some of you might be thinking about leaving here. Some of you might think about coming. Can I give you a little test? Start with the tenets. How, it would be, it's so wrong for us to be so silly to think, ooh, I'm going to go and see what the music like, and then I'm going to join that church. Do you know what they believe? Do you know what we believe? You ought to get on our website or come to our Membership Matters and we'll share it with you. Or come, come after this service. Do you know what you believe? Is the infallibility of Scripture important to you? I, I, it's amazing. I talk to people all the time. that They say that's important. Uh, but then they find themselves in places where that's not what they believe. How important are the tenets of the faith to you? How important are the teachings? So start with the tenets. Go to the teachings. 
and then go to the taste. Hey, we're not going to pretend like taste doesn't matter. It does, but to God, I don't think he gives a rip, by the way, about, about your taste. I think he's worried about your soul. I think he's worried that you understand the gospel, and uh, he doesn't really care about the labels on your clothes. All right? Matter of fact, he probably wish you'd rip that label off. But nevertheless, that's another sermon. Let's go on. With that said, what are the gospel essentials? Why don't we give you three verses that you're very familiar with because Paul is referring back to them. First one, almost everybody learned this. If you're a Christian, what is the first verse you learned? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, put your faith in him, your full faith in him, and we'll talk about that in a minute, what that means, should not perish but have eternal life. Number two. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It's not of your efforts. So those laws that you're keeping, you think is your effort, it's not of that. It's a gift of God. And then one of the oldest passages, one of the oldest statements we have in the Bible, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we believe the early church used to read this, uh, beginning in verse 1. And Paul is referring back to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's speaking here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. We already heard the gospel, which you received and which you stand for by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you and less believed in vain, for I delivered you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Number two, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance to the Scripture. And number five, and then he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You could go and verify them, uh, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, making him an apostle. Okay? We'll talk about that in just a second when we get there, too. So, last thing I want to share with you before we jump into this, because uh, I used to be perplexed and confused by this. What does faith mean? Sola fide. That was one of the calls of the, of the Protestant Reformation. Sola fide. Sola fide, fide means faith alone. So what does that mean, faith alone? We know in James chapter 2, the Bible says that the demons believe and fear at the sound of his name. So it's not just simply a mental head knowledge. Martin Luther, he wasn't the first, but he also put the three aspects of faith that he understood faith to be. And it goes like this. The Latin word, the first Latin word is this, notitia. Notitia. That's the content, the knowledge. We just talked about the content and the knowledge of the gospel, okay? Just gave you some scripture about it. What is the content of it? Some people know the content. A lot of people know the content of the gospel. They have a head knowledge of it. Number two, a census. What is a census? It's the intellectual belief that it's true and correct. Not only do I know what it is, but I believe it to be true. But notice, this is not full faith. That's not faith just to say, I know a fact and I think it's true. Okay? For example, let me give you this example. Let's, let's pretend like um, you have a child that's about to get married, and, and, or you have a child that has a girlfriend. They're out of college now. And um, they decide they're going to marry this girl. And they say, you know, I know her pretty well. I believe her. I think she's great, but I don't know. I think, I think I'm just going to hang out. I think I'm just going to hang You wouldn't call that person a wife or a husband at that point, would you? You know, I don't know that I really want to get married. Why? Because you're not ready to be committed. You don't have full faith. 
Full faith would be you get down on one knee and you ask her to marry you. You have a ceremony, you put a ring on your finger, okay? And so that's the picture of full commitment. That's the fiducia. It's the complete trust. It's the full commitment to. So when we talk about faith in Scripture, this is biblical faith. It's not just saying, oh, I, I know that. I believe it's true. It's I've committed to it. My reliance, my trust, and my hope is in it. That's what faith is, okay? So when we say full faith, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about full faith. So let's take a moment and let's read from Galatians. Galatians, again, this is to the churches northern Turkey, uh, in the Turkey area, and uh, it's very multicultural. Uh, it's probably been primarily settled by the Gauls and the Celts, and so they're all kind of different groups here. They've received the gospel. It has flourished when Paul was there, and then now we see uh, Paul and apostle. You see that first word, apostle. Now, there are two types of apostles. Here's what I'm, I'm going to use the term. There's a big A apostle and a little a apostle. The word means messengers who are sent, okay, sent messengers or apostles. And so there are lots of apostles. Uh, we can even quote, I guess, be a little a apostle today that we're sent out with a message of Christ. But there's only one group of what I'll call the big A, the disciples sometimes we call them, or the apostles uh, designated by Christ. And kind of the criteria is this. They were someone who uh, had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ and given specific instructions to go on behalf of Christ. And then they, performed, uh, they were able to perform miracles and special works. Okay, So the apostles. What's happened here is we know the 11, and then there's a 12th one obviously appointed. But Paul, we believe Paul is apostle. Matter of fact, he goes on uh, from verse 11 on to say, try to defend his apostleship. Okay, uh, We even saw it in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about how he's unnaturally born. How? Because he, on the road to Damascus, what does he do? He has an experience with Jesus Christ where Jesus Christ reveals himself to him, gives him the instructions, and then Paul goes and preaches and writes. So he's an apostle. Okay. Well, there have been some people, some Judaizers, those who've come in who were very popular and who were very, very well knowledgeable about Judaism and the laws. And they've said, you know what? Paul's not even a real apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12. Why are you listening to him? I've talked to some of the apostles. Hey, I got, listen, look, I got some degrees on the wall here. You're going to need to be circumcised. You're going to need to do this. You're going to need to do that. And Paul is going to deal with that. So that's what's occurring. Paul is an apostle, not from men through man. In other words, it's not just a man that appointed me. Jesus Christ appointed me. Remember the big A apostle. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, recognizing the deity of Christ here, who raised him from the dead. I'm going to read it with you. Who raised him from the dead in all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Not just one church. There are multiple churches here. Grace to you and peace. This was a popular greeting. Grace, uh, usually when we say that word, charis is the, trans, uh, the transliterated word that we use here. Uh, it, it usually has to do with salvation, uh, unmerited love. Maybe you learned it as unmerited favor. Unmerited love. Uh, and, and we see Paul right here. From God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's grace and then your peace is the position. Because you've received the salvation and the grace of the Lord, you can be at peace before God. You are not... At in, you don't, you're not against him anymore. He is not against you. The grace of God has covered you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in all the other letters that Paul will write, and by the way, this is the oldest epistle that we have. 
it seems to be the first epistle that Paul wrote, probably somewhere between the late 40s and the very early 50s. Paul will usually say some niceties, give some compliments, some encouragements, but not in this one. He just goes, boom, right here. Here's your greeting. Here's the problem. So Paul goes, he says this, who uh, graced you from peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, who gave himself, Jesus Christ, died for our sins so that we might be delivered from this system, evil age. He's talking about this system. He's not just talking about that day and that time, but the age in which we live in, according to the will of God, our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's the salutation. It's not really affirming them, not really saying nice things, but he's done, done the greeting. And now he goes right into the meat of this message. And what does he say? I am astonished. I am utterly amazed. I am dumbfounded. Literally is what he's saying. I can't believe it. This blows my mind in our vernacular today that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. We're going to see that word grace and gospel continue to come up in this section because that's what it's about. And Paul is saying, who has, who has basically disturbed you? Who has misled you? Who has gotten you to leave the gospel? He's talking to Christians here who called you the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, many of them probably had truly received Christ, but now others are coming into the church and they're going, yeah, we're going to have to do this too. You're going to have to observe Mosaic law. We're going to have to go through the rituals with you. You're going to have to go through the diet. You can come pay a part, but let me tell you what all else is required. Yeah, yeah, I know the gospel of grace. Paul preached that, and it is a grace. Boy, it's great news, but let me tell you some other things that are going to have to happen here as well. And Paul goes on and he says, not that there's another one. They're turning you to a different gospel. The word literally is, is heteros here, different, just like heterosexual, uh, different. He said it's a completely different, not homo, but heteros, different, a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, and it's probably not strong enough a word, it should be destroyed, want to destroy the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even if I come back, if at some point I come back and tell you something different. I mean, Paul, this is hypothetical. He's not going to do this. He goes, regardless, even if I told you, you've already received the revelation from Jesus Christ. You've seen the truth that's been given to Jesus Christ. He says, so even if we or an angel from heaven, even if an angel came down with an instruction, let me tell you something, don't listen should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. We read Ephesians 2.8. We know John 3.16. We know uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Let him be accursed. Accursed. Matter of fact, the word is anathema. It means to destroy. In the Old Testament, um, this is a little more information I probably should give. In the Old Testament, we call, call harem, and it would be destroy completely. Destroy it all completely. It's the heaviest curse. It means you're damned. Go ahead and leave that up there if you word. It's damnation. It's, it's, it's a heavy, heavy word. It's not used very often, but it's used when someone distorts the gospel. Okay? 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be anathema, accursed, damned. Pretty strong language from Paul. I'll go ahead and read the next few verses, and then we'll finish 10. And then Paul here begins to try to let them understand who he is, that he has the right to say that he is an apostle. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? What was happening, those others had come in. They were trying to make everybody happy, and they were growing in popularity. I've got a new message, something you didn't know about before. And by the way, when you hear people on TV go, can I just tell you something that's ridiculous? I'm just, this is free. I didn't plan on this. You didn't ask for this. You get somebody on TV and go, got a new revelation. Can't tell you right now. God told me, new revelation, a new truth, new scripture. Turn it off. Just turn it off at that point, okay? Here's the truth. Everything I'm going to preach to you has been preached before for, thousand, for the last couple thousand years. All right? It's, it's the truth of the gospel. And when we start getting new revelations or new words from God that are on par with the Bible, which they shouldn't be, by the way, because at best we're little a apostles, at best. None of us are big A. So we're not, the Bible's been written. No new scripture to be given. Turn away. Paul's got some pretty strong, or excuse me, John has some pretty strong things to say about this in First John. But back to our message. Um, he says right here, if, uh, in verse 11, for I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. It's not by man. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember what happened on the Damascus Road in the book of Acts. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Look, I was... I was like the worst kind of Judaizer. That's what I was. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. And he goes on the rest of the chapter uh, to give his credentials and for people to understand, hey, look, I'm an apostle of Christ. I'm giving this message not for my vanity, not for my popularity, but because it has come from Jesus Christ. So Galatians teaches us the essential tenet. It lets us know that it's only by the grace of God through faith, through the person of Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, the message that Paul had already preached to them. And it helps us understand that essential tenet, the power of the gospel, the power of the word. It also encourages us to use the right authority or epistemology. What do I mean by that? Well, today, a lot of times people will do this when they're to try to distinguish between right and wrong. They'll go, well, you know, I think, um, I think abortion is wrong, or I think abortion is right. Or I think the death penalty is wrong, or I think the death penalty is right. And whatever issue it'll be, somebody will get real tied up about it, and, they'll say, and you'll say, well, why do you believe that's right? Or why do you believe that's wrong? Well, I just feel that. You know, and a lot of people feel that. And I've read some books. So your authority is your feeling. You are so wise and so smart, you appeal to your feeling. That's what most of the world does, by the way. It's what we're doing, to be real candid with you, a lot of our leadership does today. There has to be another authority other than how you feel and what school you went to, okay, when it comes to the, to the authority of truth. And that's why I go back and I say, is, is the Bible. 
The Word of God, the gospel, it cannot be altered, it cannot be changed, because when we do that, we start to say, well, this is what I feel. Well, big deal. A lot of people feel differently. What makes you right? Because you're bigger, because you make more money, you're stronger, you have more education. What about when somebody has more education, more money? Are they right over you because you're from America? You know, it's an interesting fact I was reading this week. I was flabbergasted by this, uh, but in Ivy League schools now, uh, a lot of the Christian organizations and ministries, particularly the, the outreach ones, what they're finding is um, they're growing, but they're growing in the Asian population. In other words, uh, well over 50% of them are Asian, African uh, population, and Indian population. These We're seeing in the Ivy League schools, they're seeing, we're starting to see some growth there. But if you go in, most of the people are not Anglos. But what's really puzzling is if you go to the, the, to the groups on uh, Ivy League campuses today, and this is according to Christian Magazine. Uh, this was just a few months ago that Christianity Today came out with this. If you go and you'll see Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism are actually primarily white. They're primarily Americans. So what's happening? What's happening is we think we're so smart. We're going by what we feel, and we go, yeah, I heard, I heard the Bible, and there's a lot of things I don't like, and so I'm going to try Buddhism. And you've got people from the East that have come. You know what? I've been oppressed by that. That has not worked, and I found Christ. And they're coming, and they're making Matter of fact, we literally see people sending missionaries from the East now, sending missionaries to the United States. You know why? Because for one reason, they view it as, as Rome the way people viewed Rome back then. Everything's going through Rome, and it's becoming so corrupt, and we're losing our faith in a lot of ways. And so it's just interesting. We start, to, we start to think about our intellect, and we start to gravitate toward Eastern mysticism because it's more about us. It's more about what we can make. And we see the explosive evangelism population in Africa, in China, and Asia. More people are coming to Christ percentage-wise than any other places in the world. They're exploding, and we see Christianity happening, and they're embracing. And yet we see our young people falling away and seeking what they're leaving. Why is that, you think? I'll tell you this, because the gospel has not taken root. Here's what happens. It you know, happened to me, it happens to a lot of people. You know, I, I grew up in a church, but I never really heard the gospel. And that's true. Some liberal churches just don't hear it. Never really heard the gospel. But sometimes we just don't really pay attention to it either. Yeah, I heard that, done that. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I believe that. And we have all this intellectual, but we've not made a commitment of faith. It's just head knowledge. And it doesn't take us very far, and it doesn't empower our life. It doesn't transform us, because that's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not just what you know. It's letting Christ come in and take control. It's recognizing that you owe such an enormous debt you can never pay, and only Jesus can forgive you. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can live through you and give you the power to live and to know Christ. So when we think about that, we see you've got to have the right understanding. Sometimes we're asking the wrong sense. What is your authority? What, is your, what epistemology are you appealing to? And third, a correct understanding of the gospel. <clears throat> what is that? Correct understanding of the gospel. Number one, <clears throat> it's like we're in the ocean. We are drowning in our sins. We see that picture. We are drowning in our sins. If you see someone drowning, what would you do? Would you um, throw them a book on how to swim? Here's a book, how to swim. Or would you get in 
and pull them out. The gospel is this. We're all drowning in our sins, and we can't save ourselves. We can't swim enough to, to keep ourselves up. We don't really know how to swim, and the, the swimming that we can do, it, it won't last long. But Jesus died for us. Jesus gets in the ocean. He gets in the water, and he lifts us up. And we recognize, we quit fighting, and we say, okay, Jesus, save me. And we put our full faith, not just our head. I, I, know, I know about Jesus. I know he could, but we allow him to do it. And we, rec- we recognize we are, we are rescued by full faith in Jesus because he drowns on our behalf. He drowns saving us. He died on the cross for our sin. Him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He dies for us. And now we are justified. We are made right before God because of our faith in him, who he is and what he's done. That's the gospel. I already know that. Right here, as a truth, right here, as knowledge, or have you embraced it and said, Jesus, I put my full faith in you. I commit totally to you. I commit my life to you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold. Nothing will withhold from you, Lord. I commit. Save me, Jesus. Um. You know, when I was, uh, I shared this story a little bit before, but there was a, when I was over at Euless, there was a guy named John Weber who was the chaplain for the Cowboys. And I remember one night I got this call and I had been a student minister for his children. And he said, Ron, I tell you what, I'd like for you to come play with our former Dallas Cowboys. And they're going to be doing games all over the Metroplex for, for benefits. Love for you to come play. Why don't you come do that? And I remember thinking, are you kidding me? Because back then, I'm really not now, but back then I was a huge cowboy fan. Like my heroes. Are you kidding me? And I said, are you? And I did. I said, are you kidding? I said, you sure you want me? I mean, I wasn't a great high school football player. You sure you want me? He goes, yeah, I want you. Your relationship with my son, what you mean? I, want, I, I want to give you this. You know what would have been stupid for me? I go, all right, but let me second, let, let me get better. <laughs> let me go out and practice and lift some weights. So that I'll be on professional level. That would have been a ridiculous thing to say. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm good enough. I can do this. (laughs) Yeah, I I deserve this. Kind of earned my way into this one, didn't I? (laughs) Just because of my marriage. Come look at my wall and see what I did in Pee Wee. You know, come look at my trophies from Little League. I've been wondering when somebody was going to call. All I could do is go, thank you. And recognize, I do not deserve this, do not earn this. This is a gift. And the only reason I'm getting this gift is because of his son. That's the picture of the power and the grace of the gospel. The, um, the, the ancients shared it this way. St. John of the Cross and many others did it this way. Uh, for salvation, for the gospel of salvation to happen, when you are, quote, saved, this is what has to happen. In case you want to, here's a little gospel test for you. Number one, have you been awakened? Awakened. What do I mean by that? I remember, has there come a place where you recognize the power of God? You recognize, hey, this is real and this is true. This is power. He has the power. It's, it's awakened you. The purgative. Have you been convicted? You recognize, I, I am a sinner. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as I think I am. I, I'm convicted of my sin. The third, I'm illuminative. 
now I understand. I understand the power of the gospel. I understand I'm con- that my sin separates me. And, and I understand that Jesus died for me because I couldn't save myself. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't do enough deeds. I was never going to get there. I understand it now. And the unitive, I'm committing. I want to connect to God Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm making a commitment. I understand the power. I'm convicted. I understand it. And now I want to commit to it. That's the gospel right there. That's how salvation occurs. And if you've grown up in church, just like Martin Luther and somebody and just said, yeah, I know that's true. Yeah, I got a head knowledge of that. I believe those are facts. That doesn't mean that you've embraced the gospel. It doesn't mean that you've made a commitment just to know it exists. Go back to our illustration. You can have, you can have a man or a woman that you love or your child can have a man or woman that they love and they may know it, they may believe it, but until they commit to it and say, all right, here's my life. I commit to join with you. In Christianity, we say, okay, well, you made the commitment. In this church, we practice believer's baptism. Come and be baptized. Let's see the covenant and fully commit. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means this. And I'll conclude with this. You know, I've mentioned to you, I used to pray that prayer every night. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Forgive me my sins. And I kept trying to sanctify, so to speak, trying to get good enough for God to accept me. And I had heard it all along, but I, I never understood it. And then when I was 17, someone sat down and said, look, here's the gospel. When you believe the grace of God has the power to save you, you recognize your sin. You understand and you commit your life to You were justified at that moment. You were made right with God. You no longer can earn it. As long as you keep trying to earn it, Ron, you keep trying to be good enough, you keep trying to do enough things for God to accept you, you're never going to get there. You've not experienced the salvation of the gospel. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and I want you to ask Christ in your life. I want you to make this commitment. And as you make this commitment, I want you in faith to believe it and to trust it. That's what I'm asking you to do. And from this point on, you will do good things because of what Christ has done for you, not so that he will do it for you. Do you get the difference? So today, I live for Christ, not so that he will accept me, but because he already has accepted me. That's the difference. Are you living a life where you keep saying, if I'll do a little better, maybe I'll be sure, maybe I'll be saved? Or have you come to that place where you go, because Jesus Christ has died for me, I've accepted him. And now everything I do is a thank you unto him. It's an act of worship unto him for what he's done, not hoping what he'll do. And that's different from every other religion. Every other major religion, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they're all, hey, you get good enough so that one day you'll be accepted. The Bible says God is fully good and fully sovereign and fully able to forgive. And not because of what you've done, he will forgive you, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And your relationship to him, your commitment to him, is the only hope you have. It's an act of grace by full faith. Knowledge that exists, knowledge that you believe it is true, and commitment to. Have you done that? I want to invite you to do that today and experience the real power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, if there's one here today that has never received the gospel, that has never totally made a full commitment of faith, Lord, I pray today would be that day. Lord, that we would teach our children, we would teach our grandchildren, that, Lord, we wouldn't get caught up in just walking through the motions of church, but that we would receive the living and powerful grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.